Hi, I'm Alex Bernstein. And I'm Ted Wrigley. And you're listening to Curtains on Fire, the theatrical podcast of the Rising Curtain Theatre Company in New Jersey. And Ted, spring is here and the weather is beautiful. And so are you, Alex. People are getting their vaccines and starting to get their lives back. Everything seems hopeful, new, and exciting. And we're excited to have four new pieces from our writers. And in today's podcast, you and I finally have a couple pieces. That's right. Today, we have A Conundrum by Lynn Langoni, Sorry John by Jake Daler, ID by Alex Bernstein, and Elucidation by Ted Wrigley. And just a reminder that if you stick around after the plays, you'll hear brief interviews with each of the playwrights. Our first play takes place at the Department of Motor Vehicles. This is A Conundrum by Lynn Langoni. Excuse me! Excuse me! May I help you? Yes, please. I'm in big trouble. My ex is going to Florida with the kids, leaving early tomorrow morning, and I just got this note that his license has been suspended. See? This letter is dated April 3rd. I know, I know, but you see, I just opened it. It was buried in a pile with all these parking tickets. I know I should have taken care of them. I really should have, but I just couldn't deal with it. You see, I'm going through a divorce right now and just broke up with psycho transition guy and my daughter refuses to finish her confirmation with the church. I just want her to finish it. I don't care if she believes in God or not. I really don't. And my English bulldog, his name is Boris and he's adorable. He keeps having these weird seizures and we're so worried. And my ex will kill me if he knows about his license. Seriously, he might kill me. So I need to fix this now. Well, we can take care of these parking tickets now. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Here's my credit card. Will this reinstate his license? No, no, I'm afraid not. Mr. Bear will have to take care of that in person. Are you kidding me? Is there anything I can do? I'll do anything. I'll, I'll pay anything, like anything. Please help me. I'm going to be in so much trouble. This will absolutely ruin their vacation if I have to tell him his license is suspended. You see, this is a big deal for him to do something like this with the kids by himself. But truthfully, he's going out there to meet this woman he knows from work that he might be in love with. I think they were talking before he left me, but I don't even care. Just help me. I'm sorry, but we don't take care of licenses here, but I can take care of the parking tickets. So what happens if he rents a car in Florida? Will they check his license? I know they record the license information, but not sure if they run a report. And if he gets pulled over for speeding or something, would he go to jail? I'm sorry. Thank you. How's it going? Oh, good. Um, listen, I just wanted to tell you... No, I'm fine. Just a crazy day. I just wanted to let you know. Oh, really? Well, that sounds like so much fun. The kids will love it. Oh, um... 
Well, I just wanted you to know that the kids are packed and very excited. Yeah, I, I hope you have a great time. I really do. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Great. See you then. Drive safe. In our next piece, you'll hear a young father saying goodnight to his toddler son. This is Elucidation by Ted Wrigley. Hey, Elliot. Hey, buddy. How are you? I wish you would have knocked first. You can't just barge into mommy and daddy's bedroom like that. We thought you were still at your Aunt Harriet's house. We didn't realize she dropped you off. Now, I know you might be a little confused about what you saw. That's understandable. I want to try and explain. So here goes. This might be a little cliche, but when a man and a woman are in love, they want to be really close to each other and they take off their clothes. Then the man gets on top of the woman, or the woman can get on top of the man, and he puts his peepee inside the woman's hoo-ha. Now, generally, this feels really good, and they both like it. But after doing that repeatedly many times over the years, it can get a bit predictable and, well, boring. So the man and the woman do things to spice it up a bit. They try new ways, like the man stands behind the woman, or the woman does a handstand, you know, like in gymnastics. Well, after a while, that can get monotonous too. And the man and the woman set up a sex wing, which is what you saw hanging from the ceiling. That helps with gravity and balance and really gets the pee-pee in as far as it's able to go, which is a real plus, you know what I mean? Anyway. What you saw your mother wearing was called crotchless lederhosen, and that other man you saw in there with us, well, his name is not really Fritz, which your mother was screaming loudly. His name is Carl, and he's from the auto zone down the street. Anyway, he's not a real Nazi. That uniform was just a rental. Listen, I hope this clears a few things up. I'll get into the few of the more eccentricities of role play and BDSM as you get a little older. As for now, go to sleep, little buddy. You have kindergarten in the morning. Our third piece today takes place just outside a coroner's office. This is ID by Alex Bernstein. I can't. I can't do this. Jimena. I can't do this, Phil. I understand. No, you don't understand. You'll never understand, so don't patronize me. Don't say... Kamena, I'm not the villain here. I can't do this. I can't. I'm, I'm going to pass out. Do you want to go outside? Do you want some water? What can I do to make things... Stop happen? asking me fucking questions! I... I... I don't want to do this. Do you... Do you want me to call Rachel? No, no. That's not what I'm saying. You're not fucking listening. I just thought that... I know what you thought. That's not what I'm saying. I don't... I don't know what the right thing to do is here. I want to go home. I have to go home. I've changed my mind. I don't want to do this. Do you want to make... Stop! Asking me fucking questions. 
Jesus Christ, Phil! Mrs. Nash? I can't do this right now. We close at five. After that, you'll have to wait until Monday. I... I... Do... Do you really want to wait until Monday? Do you know this is the third time I've had to do this? Did you know that? You're not always the one here. I've been here twice already. Did you know that? No. This is the third time your office has asked me to come down here to make an identification. Do you know what that's like? I, 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 I know. And you've never been right. Do you know what it's like to get that call to come down here three times and you're wrong every time? Do you know what that does to someone, to a parent, to a mother? It's wrenching. It's like getting punched hard, violently in the stomach. The effort just to come here and then look. And then it's... It's not. It's not even him. Do you know what that's like? Uh, I'm sorry. I don't give a shit if you're sorry. Why can't you just... Just find him or leave me alone? I... Jimena. If someone else could. If, if you could. I can't. I don't... I'm not the father. Is, is there another relative? A sibling? Could call Rachel? Stop it! Stop it! <sighs> Fine. That's my beautiful boy. That is my beautiful boy. Our final piece today takes place on the balcony of a large New York apartment. This is Sorry John by Jake Daler. Sean, what a treat. Uncle Duncan, Mom told me you were stopping by. I myself am visiting, hence masked even before you got here. Not looking to kill the old folks. We seniors appreciate that. Safe distance hug? Thanks for the Knicks tickets. You guys just keep kicking ass, decade after decade. You know, none of that would have happened if it weren't for the kindness of your folks and the other British insects. You ever get tired of winning? It's been a good run. Is the old guy around? How are you, young man? Far from young at 61. You are a puppy. 
May I say you look lovely this morning, Mrs. Lennon? You can, but I won't believe it. Go ahead. You're wearing your Ono oh kimono. <laughs> that joke never gets old for you, does it? Never. As a vegan, I will not eat a dead horse, but I will gleefully beat a dead horse. As long as it makes you happy. Shall I get us some tea? How could I refuse? Working on anything lately? These days, just staying upright and drawing breath is a full-time job. Morning, Mother. Another fine day with you begins, and you're lovelier than ever. Like I said. You guys. So, what urgent business brings you to our home so very bright and early, my brother? Not that I'm complaining. Mikasa Sukasa, my lifesaver. Don't say that, please. But you are literally. You gave me the second half of me life when you risked yours plowing your bicycle into that mad gunman. You could have died anyway. If he hit me with all four shots. Thanks to you, though, I only took one. It's not enough to kill a scrappy Liverpudlian such as myself. What's come over you, my friend? You look like I did die. You need to know how much I ad admire and love you. Your, your whole family, for that matter. You've been so kind and welcoming to me and my family. Always. Tut tut, little brother. What can this be about? We haven't much time. I've had the most wonderful life. As have I. Largely thanks to you. Don't say that, please. You're not ill, are you? You've got to outlive Yoko and me. I don't own the Knicks. Of course you do. Mother and I bought them for you in 1981 with a little help from your friends Paul, Georgie, and Ringo. And they've sucked for the last 20 years. Makes sense, man. They're a dynasty, reigning national champs. No. I wish on December 8th, 1980, I had come out of Central Park on my bike and prevented your murder, but it didn't happen that way. I wish it more than anything. I've imagined it a zillion times, but the fact is, I was sitting in my walk-up apartment on West 47th Street when that homicidal Hawaiian who misunderstood Holden Caulfield shot and killed you. What are you saying? I'm about to wake up. Well, of course we worried it might be a dream. Wow. Well, that's a lot, isn't it? I suppose I should inform Mother and Sean. It's starting. I'm so sorry. Don't be. It was wonderful. Thanks for dreaming it. Well, I won't be needing this mask anymore. I hope Trump and the pandemic are just part of your dream as well. Now we're going to spend some time with our authors, Lynn Langoni, Jake Daler, Alex Bernstein, and Ted Wrigley, and see if we can find out what inspired them to write these pieces. So, Jake, thanks for doing this. What a great piece. Sorry, John. What was the inspiration for that piece? Well, I, I'm, a, I'm an underemployed uh, commercial actor, and so I have too much free time. I, I used to be a captain of industry until uh, celebrities became essential for hawking all products. Excuse me, multi-millionaire celebrities became essential for hawking all products. So anyway, I have all this free time and I don't really use it wisely. What I use it mostly is to daydream about going back in time or about being hurled back in time. Not before I was born because I think 
it's a big enough ask to be hurled back in time than to even, you know, be greedy and go before you were born. So just starting, you know, when I was two, when I was aware, and uh, and to see if I could just save everybody, like Medgar Evers and, and Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and the Kennedys, and, and then get Gregory Peck to run against Reagan when he was up for his re-election in, in, as governor of California, so he never would have been president, and let the money into Washington and start the war on unions and give racism a shot in the arm. And of course, to save John Lennon, my favorite Beatle, uh, and to save Larry Shue and, and Jonathan Larson and prevent so many talented, wonderful people from dying of AIDS and the Oklahoma City bombing and school shootings, 9-11, and warn Al Gore about dangling chads, and make sure Mark Burnett never, ever let Donald Trump star in a TV show. And so that's, I think about all those things. So I'm ready in case son, somehow I'm ever, you know, thrown back then, uh, then because also I was, in New York, I just moved to New York in October of, of 1980, and I do ride my bike everywhere. And I was uh, I was in my apartment the night that he was shot, and I could easily have been coming out of Central Park on my bike, and I maybe could have seen uh, Mark David Chapman uh, trying to shoot down my favorite Beetle and and uh, and ridden my bike into him, and maybe John would have only taken one bullet instead of instead of uh, four or five, and maybe he would have lived. So, you know. And anyway, if that ever happens, I'm ready. Have you ever written about the Beatles before? No. I, I love the Beatles, of course. John's my favorite. You know, he was, you know, I think he's the smartest and the most political, certainly, and, and, uh, and the, I, I think the most talented. I, and he just was a force for good, just a creative a light, you know, and he, and he fought the machine, and, you know, and, and I just, and, and, you know, and this idiot takes him out when he's happy. And, it's, and this, this guy, you know, of course, because it's so easy to get a gun here, and this guy is one of these three people who's perpetrated either a, a, an assassination or a attempted assassination because he doesn't understand Holden Caulfield because he just has him completely ass backwards. Uh, and uh, it's just so, you know, so sad. I mean, I just think about like how great it would have been to have had John for all these 40 years. What would he have done? How long have you been sitting on the Ono Kimono joke? Now that just came up, but, but because I'm me, I know that if I had been their friend, I would have said that every time. I would never get tired of that joke. Uh, I, you know, because for sure, they have kimonos. There's no question they both have kimonos. And if, you know, if, if she made it or if it's hers, it's, it's an ono kimono. You know, so. it's, a lovely, it's a lovely piece. And uh, I was thrilled to be in it. I was honored. It was an honor for me to be in it. You, you were a fine John Lennon. So we are talking to Lynn Langoni, who wrote a piece called A Conundrum for Curtains on Fire. So, Lynn, I understand this particular piece was a real experience for you. How close is this to actually how it went down? Well, hi there. It was very close. Let's say it's so close that I hope my ex-husband is not listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Although he's fine now. He's driving and everything's good. This was uh, very, very close. Also, you write from a lot of personal experiences. Have you found this to be challenging? I, well, I only started writing about a year ago. So almost exactly a year ago, I wrote this play called Free Range Cows for a local community theater that does a production of Jersey Voices. So that was my very, very first writing of a play. And it was performed, which was very exciting. And that was based on a cross-country trip that my daughter and I took. So since joining this group, I found that it's easier for me to write from real life. You also played the part yourself, too. 
Tell me, how much exhausting research did you do <laughs> researching your character for this part? You know, it's it's funny because I I have to say, listening to my voice doing my words was kind of hard. I I I don't think I like listening to myself, but but Kathy was wonderful. Lynn, one of my favorite things about this piece was telling you that this was the piece we were going to pick of yours because you've had probably the most negative reaction of anybody <laughs> to having a, a particular piece picked. You know, everybody else whose piece has gotten picked was like, oh my God. And you were like, oh, that piece. <laughs> probably because it is such a, a real piece. So maybe because it was so real, I didn't feel like it was as a as much of a creative challenge to write as maybe some of the the grandma stories that I've written because even though those are based on some truth there's definitely a lot of theatrical license taken with them well hopefully we'll see and hear a lot more of your material in future podcasts and we apologize for picking uh, a conundrum <laughs> so so Ted, you know, you and I are usually presenting these pieces, but we finally have a couple pieces in a curtains on fire. I know it's the question I ask everybody, but I have to know in this piece, what inspired you to write a piece about a tiny little boy walking in on his parents doing uh-huh? Well, uh, actually it was kind of inspired by uh, me being an acting teacher and thinking in terms of a, you know, what would be a good monologue? And I just came up with the idea of what would be a traumatizing child that we could be funny <laughs> versus something that would be uh, a death or anything like that. Uh, I thought this would just be kind of funny and to see sort of a blathering father just sort of go on and not necessarily saying the right things. Did you ever walk in on your parents or did you ever have a child walk in on you while... Uh... I can honestly say never. I haven't had any children and I've never walked in on my parents. Uh, I do recall, though, I did a, a, a PSA for a Montclair State Film Department, and uh, I got to play a father that was trying to explain sex to his daughter in the most inept way, making little hand gestures of a finger going in a round circle, that sort of thing. And, and I think I sort of pulled from that a little bit, but it never happened to me personally. My parents' room was next to mine, and I used to hear the lock click on their door uh, once, once, once in a blue moon. So, and I think a lot of people probably in, in the group had that experience, and so we could relate to it. Uh, I also love the level of detail that you go into in the explanation of it. Was that all off the top of your head? or It just poured out of my brain in a sort of a weird way. I, I didn't plan any of that. It just happened. So I, I read it out loud, and I said, okay, it seems to flow. See if anybody else likes it. And uh, I hope that even though the poor child didn't, Elliot didn't have any lines, that there'd be a, a further story of him talking to his therapist about it in like 30 years, you know. So Alex, it's your turn to be on the burner now. Um, so I've been fortunate enough to actually have directed some of your pieces before from Miserable Love Stories, and most of the pieces I've read from your work have been comedy-based, and this is a very serious one. So tell me how something like this comes about. Well, one of the things that I like about this workshop is that I don't feel the need to always put comedy front and center, that you can play with different areas and some scarier areas and kind of explore that. I just think 
the concept of what's under the sheet is so haunting and terrifying and emotional. To me, comedy is kind of more natural and it's more comfortable. And so I like going to places that are dark and a little terrifying, um, as long as they're real, you know, as long as there's something behind it. Was there a particular inspiration for this piece? Right. Um, I can't say that I know anybody that has specifically done this, but I did know somebody who, you know, had to at some point go to a coroner's office and make an identification. And I just started thinking just the ramifications of what that experience must go through, um, especially if it's not the first time you've been there, if it's not correct. So it's a lose-lose situation. If it's not the person, it's not a pretty situation. If it is the person, it's an incredibly ugly, painful situation. And so I just started thinking about this poor character who would have to go there and has probably been there many times. And it just seemed excruciating to me. I was a little nervous about the concept of the coroner's office, to be honest with you, because it's one of those things where it's, it's I know people that have gone through it, but I haven't gone through it. And you're kind of projecting yourself into their position. And it wasn't a position that I immediately wanted necessarily to project myself into. And it was always like, let them tell their stories. I'll tell my stories. But you find yourself in that situation. And I thought it was a powerful thing to talk about. Well, coming from someone who's had to do that before, uh, I think you, you hit it. And that's it for podcast number three. Nice job, Ted. And you as well, Alex. And we turned this around much quicker than our last one. Yes, we did. And thank you all so much for joining us today. We just want to mention a few people. A Conundrum starred Lynn Langoni and Kathy Taylor. Elucidation featured Ted Wrigley. ID starred Lynn Langoni, Ted Wrigley, and Nat Janace. Sarah John featured Aiko Nakasone, Nat Janace, Alex Bernstein, and Jake Daler. And all of our plays today were directed by Ted Wrigley. And mixed by Alex Bernstein and David Doster. Our graphics were created by Pina Carey, and our theme music was created by David Doster. The Curtains on Fire podcast is produced by Ted Wrigley and Alex Bernstein. And thanks again for listening in. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can reach out to us at info at risingcurtaintheatercompany.com. Please join us next time for more new works by up-and-coming playwrights. Until then, don't stand so close to the curtains. <laughs>